I developed a program uh, with my team at University of Michigan called Community-Based Clinical Education. And we rotated our students to various different practice models. And we did something on what we call a revenue sharing or cost offset model. Okay, Then a former uh, department chair became the dean at UCLA. I went over there uh, to help develop the same program because he's the first dean that said, I'm bringing the Dell School to the community. And that's exactly what I wanted to hear is that he's open-minded and we're rotating students through six, seven different healthcare delivery models and making a better student. And I have to tell you, as a faculty member, it's incumbent upon us to actually open the eyes and ears and to, to, to share a diversified portfolio of practice opportunities before they graduate. So they have a clear understanding of what they can do. We got a couple different problems. One, there's a labor shortage in dental. There's not enough dentists doing dentistry of any sort. You could go to full arch all the way down to pediatrics, right? And everything in between. There's not enough dentists. So there's a labor shortage. Number two, there's a lack of experience for dental students coming out of school, meaning they're not getting enough reps in to feel super confident coming out of school and to, that they can do the treatment, right? Just even the basic treatment. They, they just aren't getting enough experience. And so that's a big problem because when you combine those two things, it doesn't create for a great environment for for all, everybody in, in the dental field, including the patient. I consider students at every level in universities as the most underutilized workforce that a community can have. Because even in medical, even in first, second, third, fourth year students can offer something to the community. The biggest challenge is does the curriculum allow enough time for those people to go? So there's been some major curriculum changes to uh, make this more uh, effective in the long run. Now, I will share with you that my mission statement when I developed it at University of Michigan for our team has never vacillated since 2006, and that is I'm enhancing my students' education while increasing access to care for vulnerable populations through sustainable and accountable templates, period. Welcome to another episode of Dental Marketing Theory. I'm your host, Gary Bird. I'm the founder of SMC National, where we help you create, convert, and close more new patients so you can grow the way that you want. But guess what? You can't grow if you don't have dentists. And you can't get dentists if they don't have experience when they're coming out of school. A lot of dental students right now are coming out of school and they're not properly equipped. And that's a big problem. And my friend, Dr. Bill, formerly of UCLA and now the founder of ACES, is here to break down why that problem exists and how he's going to solve it. I promise you're going to want to pay attention to this because I believe this is the future of not only dental school, but dentists coming into the industry that's going to solve a lot of problems that we have, both the labor shortage side and on the experience side for the dentists coming out of school. Stay tuned. This is a special episode and you're going to want to hear it. All right, Dr. Bill, it's been a long time since we've done a podcast together. I think probably about a year, maybe a little bit longer. And a lot of things have changed and we haven't shared it on air yet, but we have had, you and I have probably talked 10 times between the last show. We've done a lot of stuff together. Um, and just to update the audience before you were full-time at UCLA and, and working there in the dental department. And now you've transitioned. You're still doing some work there at UCLA and still helping. And you can explain that to the audience so they understand it. But now you're with ACES, a company that you've started. I would love just for you to share with the audience what you're doing, what you've been up to, and, and what's new in your life. 
Well, thanks, Gary. And uh, quite frankly, the transition, I, I have a lot of people to thank for, and you're, you're one of them. The podcast that I did with you about a year and a half ago actually opened the eyes and ears of a lot of people. And uh, quite frankly, uh, you're partly responsible for my direction in life, which is, which is excellent because I think I'm doing it for all the right reasons. And so to sum it up, uh, Gary, um, I developed a program uh, with my team at University of Michigan called Community-Based Clinical Education. And we rotated our students to various different practice models. And we did something on what we call a revenue sharing or cost offset model. Okay, Then a former uh, department chair became the dean at UCLA. I went over there uh, to help develop the same program because he's the first dean that said, I'm bringing the Dell School to the community. And that's exactly what I wanted to hear is that he's open-minded and we're rotating students through six, seven different healthcare delivery models and making a better student. And I have to tell you, as a faculty member, it's incumbent upon us to actually open the eyes and ears and to, to, to share a diversified portfolio of practice opportunities before they graduate. So they have a clear understanding of what they can do. But in the meantime, yes, I did retire because I felt that knocking it off one school at a time or one VSO at a time or one public health, um, I think we can now how do you say it, spread, spread the wealth of the information because, quite frankly, the students at both schools that I had the opportunity of doing this program with uh, share that it is the most valuable experience they had in dental school. And when you're doubling and tripling their clinical services in just six to eight weeks, I, I can't help but to think that we're creating a better healthcare provider. So yes, I am still part-time faculty at UCLA. They call it Professor at Recall. Uh, but basically, I'm going to continue to pr uh, provide insight and oversight. But I had to step down in order to form ACES Health. And ACES Health stands for Academic Clinically Engaged Solutions for Health. And I want to share with you is that we're open to all practice models to open our students' eyes and ears to what can happen after school. Hey, I got something crazy to share with you, and I'm going to get you right back to the show, I promise. So we have an event called AlignerCon coming up next year, and this month we're giving away a buy one, get one free. We're going to be partnering with ClearCorrect, and this is going to be one of the biggest events that we've ever done in Nashville, Tennessee, in the biggest hotel in America. So if you want to come to this, again, we're going to give you a buy one, get one free. We want to meet you in person. Just go to AlignerCon.com, and we're going to teach you how to create, convert, close, and even some clinical components around clear aligners. So don't miss this event. Go check it out now. Back to the show. Okay. So let's, so let's talk through that. So if I'm a dental group, let's pretend uh, I am from Gary Bird's dental group. I got 20 practices. I want to work with ACEs. How, how does that relationship work? What, what do you guys do from that perspective? Or does it even, even can I work with you directly or how do I, Kind of break down how the, your relationship works with dental offices. So basically, ACES Health is going to be a conduit between healthcare delivery models and academic institutions. So we're going to help you navigate how to work with a dental school to enhance the educational value. And we provide the templates, and this has been going on since 2006, but on a, a very small basis, if you will. But I have the data now, and quite frankly, recently, I just empowered working with nine different PSOs as another one of the practice models. So traditionally, most dental schools work with very qualified health centers, uh, tribal clinics, philanthropic organizations, donated free cares, and quite frankly, programs that the students, uh, they themselves uh, have developed. And I'm very passionate about finding solutions for veterans and also victims of human trafficking. 
And we've been successful in having commandeered that space as well. But in order to start the process, uh, you would contact the university or myself. And if you're a healthcare delivery model, we would then send you what we call an affiliation agreement that's been tried, true, and tested over the last 19 years. And we look and we give that for your purview to make sure that it meets with all the legal ease of your organization. And quite frankly, I've had seven different healthcare models review the contract that if you find problems with it, I don't know what to say because I spend a lot of energy trying to do that. And then we look at the state practice acts and whether your state is allowing students and externs and residents to participate at affiliated sites. And then we credential and calibrate the off-site locations. And we give adjunct appointments to the doctors that want to be part of that on behalf of the university. Because you have to be a member of that school that you like to work with for an extra layer of protection. So basically, when you have externs and, and residents running through your practice, you have a protected working interview through this affiliation agreement. That's amazing. And then what do you... Let's break down for the the audience just one of the, like the big problem you're trying to solve, and I'll, I'll take a stab at it, but I'm sure I won't do it justice. So I would love for you to elaborate on it. So basically, what we have right now is we got a couple different problems. One, there's a labor shortage in dental. There's not enough dentists doing dentistry of any sort. You could go to full arch all the way down to pediatrics, right, and everything in between. There's not enough dentists, so there's a labor shortage. Number two. There's a lack of experience for dental students coming out of school, meaning they're not getting enough reps in to feel super confident coming out of school and to, that they can do the treatment, right? Just even the basic treatment. They, they just aren't getting enough experience. And so that's a big problem because when you combine those two things, it doesn't create for a great environment for, for all, everybody in, in the dental field, including the patient. So what you're doing is you're trying to scoot the marker back on the dental students and say, hey, let's get them into practices sooner under the guides of a, a licensed physician and they're watching and observing. So it's not it's not this scary thing that that someone's going to be hurt or something like that. Get them the experience that they want. But then what that also does is it helps these dental practices have more labor, have more dentists coming through and doing more dentistry. And so you're, 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 excuse the pun, but killing two birds with one stone where you're helping both sides of the equation. Is that, did I get that right for the audience? Absolutely. You're spot on. And I'd like to add a few other things there, but one of the things too is I consider students at every level in universities as the most underutilized workforce that a community can have. Because even in medical even in first, second, third, fourth year students can offer something to the community. The biggest challenge is does the curriculum allow enough time for those people to go? So there's been some major curriculum changes to uh, make this more uh, effective in the long run. Now, I will share with you that my mission statement when I developed it at University of Michigan for our team has never vacillated since 2006. And that is I'm enhancing my students' education while increasing access to care for vulnerable populations through sustainable and accountable template, period. I've not vacillated from that, and we basically made it sustainable, and hundreds of thousands of people have been treated by externs and residents that normally would not have been treated. So with that said, a protected working interview, a lot of our sites now are hiring our students right during the rotation. They're offering them contracts, and the students have a working interview as opposed to 
be honest, uh, Gary, in one platform, the DSO model, they'll take any signature after graduation, but then they figure out, are they good fit or not? Here, I give them an opportunity through a several-week rotation as to whether or not they could be a good fit. And if not, why not? Okay. So we have a very accountable platform, and we actually use this tool of assessing student competency and proficiency. And if they're true to themselves, they have a really clear understanding of what their next steps to be after graduation. So as I said, the fact is, yes, we are definitely helping a labor shortage, but more importantly, we're increasing access to care issues. Which is amazing. Now, are you going, how big can this get? That's always been my question is like, okay, this is cool for the, if you have five or 10 or 20 organizations in it, but is this something that could really reach the masses from your perspective? Meaning, is this something that could um, eventually turn into something much bigger and where everybody's working with dental students and getting them into their practices if they wanted to? Absolutely. And like I said, as a healthcare provider and also as an academic, it's incumbent upon me to open the eyes of my students on every platform that I possibly can. And I always share with them a little bit of a funny story. And I said, you know, I worked for a complete idiot the first four years after I graduated. Everybody said, well, that's pretty, that's pretty harsh. I said, no, it's not. It was me. I had no business starting my own practice. Okay. I was not very sharp business-wise. And I will tell you that it took me a long time to get this uh, under my wing. And there's so many other opportunities out there to, to, to uh, provide a good lifestyle for my family and to do what I always wanted to do. And that's basically to help patients. Okay. So with that said, there's all kinds of opportunities. Hey, sorry to interrupt the show, but this is a segment that I think is going to bring a lot of value to you, and it's under in two minutes. It's really, really fast. It's called Ask Gary. People have been emailing in their questions to askgary at smcnational.com, and what we do is we just try to quickly answer your questions so you can grow the way that you want, and today's question came from Peter, and he asked, what metrics do I actually want to track when it comes to marketing? Now, in marketing, there's infinite amount of stats. You can track everything and anything now. And there's so many things to track. But from a high level, what you really want to know is this. What is your cost to acquire a new patient walking through your door? How much does that cost you? Is it $100? Is it $200? $300? $500? $1,000? You want to figure that out. And you don't want to know how much it is. You don't want to include your patient referrals into that number. So you should only be looking at the, the patients that were generated from marketing that are coming into your office how much did you spend to get those people to come in? Don't count your patient referrals. Don't count your doctor referrals into that. Then from there, you want to look at what is your cost to generate a new patient lead? Those are two different things. A lead is not a patient and a patient is not a lead. So how much is it for a qualified lead? People who are reaching out to your office that are actually new patients and are qualified that you could have, if you could have got them in, they would have been a great patient how much does it cost you to make that phone ring or to get them to schedule online? Those are the two main numbers that you have to know. If you don't know these numbers and you're doing marketing, you are guessing. And it makes it really hard to actually make decisions of should we do more, should we do less? The other thing to call out is that those two numbers are not just marketing numbers. They also are operational numbers. They help us see how operations is performing as well as how marketing is performing. And then it allows you to get better and work together to improve those numbers. So I hope that helps. Back to the show. Now, what is the potential? I honestly believe that all 70 plus dental schools, if they had 10 weeks of uh, opportunity for their fourth year students alone, that's 70,000 weeks. 
because there's 7,000 students, okay, uh, that are graduating annually at this point. And 30% of them are going into one major market right now, and that's the DSO. So why aren't we doing it? And UCLA was basically one of the very first uh, schools to, to migrate through that uh, rotation. And, you know, I presently rotate our students through 22 different sites at UCLA. It was as high as 39 different sites at University of Michigan. And I know my cohort at University of Washington, she's got about 14 sites. You know, so the bottom line is, yes, this can absolutely grow and it needs to grow because dental education is not getting cheaper. And this program does not cost the uh, school anything. And then the bottom line is it can actually make revenue for you to explore other opportunities and create community programs. Got it. Um, so let's fast forward 10 years. Let's say the ACEs, everything goes the way that you want it to go. We fast forward 10 years. Let's say all the dental schools cooperate, which I know is a big task because you're talking about, you know, government entities in a lot of cases, but let's say that that happens. And what, 10 years down the road, everybody's on the same page. What would this look like? What would ACEs look like? And how would this impact the, the general dental community as a whole? What, what would that look like in your, in your vision? Because I stated two things in the mission statement, that's sustainability and accountability, we would then look at these organizations and say, are they truly delivering a service that is worthy for the patient? And I expect better patient outcomes because of accountability. You know, there was a time now, because these big structured organizations are happening, they now have compliance uh, teams, they now have quality assurance teams. So it's all about providing another set of eyes and ears towards the experience for the student, which ultimately resonates with the care given to the patient that they're treating at these organizations. So in essence, we become an internal HR department, but I'm not going to stop with dentistry. It is my dream to see an interprofessional education model occur. And that is send nurse practitioners with student dental students, with social workers to help patients navigate their health in a more predictable fashion, because a lot of people out there do not understand what is available to them. Awesome. And then um, just closing thoughts. If you have any closing thoughts on what people should understand or what people need to know about ACEs and where you guys are going, and you, if you were to sum it up really quickly for our audience, what, what, would, what would you say? You know, uh, Quite frankly, it's this. ACES Health is a brand new organization, and what we're trying to do is we have very credible partners. I have some leaders in the industry, and and we are here to help. Whether you have one clinic or a thousand clinics, we are affiliating with whomever. And all I ask is the more, how do you say it, underserved the population that you're serving, the more apt I am to help you, because that's a special place in my heart for those that are less fortunate so the bottom line is if you want to create a program that gives back to your community that you normally don't treat, I'm all on board to help you find a solution for that and to create goodwill within your community and your organization. But all I know is this has been a positive impact and we're there for any school, any organization or healthcare delivery model that wants help because there's a lot of dental schools that do do it well. I'm just trying to centralize the platform just like a dental support organization. I want to create an academic dental support organization. But I can't use ADSO as my moniker because that's already been taken by the Association of Dental Support Organizations. So uh, Andrew Smith would not be uh, appreciated if I took a ADSO as my uh, four-letter acronym, okay? <laughs> but in, 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 in essence, basically, I just want to centralize the process because through centralization, you get more qualified 
outcomes and more quantitative outcomes as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. If someone wants to reach out to you to learn more about what you're doing, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, my email is simple, bill at net. You didn't want to put your last name in there? And the well, email. Pistorowski, you know, like I said, it's painful for me to spell, you know, print every time. I, I think I failed standardized tests in school because by the time I wrote my name out, uh, the test was over. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on. You did a really good job. Well, thank you so much. And again, I thank you for this opportunity. And you personally have helped uh, with this growth of my opportunity and to deliver something that's very necessary. It's awesome. I really believe in it and it's necessary. So thanks so much, man. Thank you.